All right, it's November the 13th, uh, the year of our Lord 2021, uh, broadcasting live from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of The National Pulse. That's how I'm going to say it from now on, The National Pulse. <laughs> and I've got Natalie uh, Winters joining me on the line. Natalie, are you there? I think so. Oh, you Hello. are. There. Oh, this sounds so much better than when I call you on the telephone. Um, yeah. So, Natalie, I've gone full boomer. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't no. know, listen, I was, I was trying to dial you in through Facebook Messenger because for some reason the audio is always better. And literally, I was like, like hunched over the laptop, like staring real close to the screen, trying to understand like where I go. <laughs> to make the call to you. I just, I, I can't do it anymore. They change things all the time. It's so confusing. It feels like the fonts are getting smaller, right? <laughs> I don't know if they actually are, but I've just become total cringe. So I thought you'd like to know that. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Facebook Messenger. I get a lot of really, really weird messages on there, so I try not I to. I told open you the I'll app. stop. I told you I'll stop. <laughs> but I'm happy to open the, the app for everyone. I'll get better audio quality. Yeah, so. try try and keep the microphone to your mouth as well, please, when you're talking. That would be real helpful. Um, listen, Tech technology is not our forte. It definitely is not. It definitely is not. <laughs> um, and on that note, welcome to the National Pulse. Um, I um I went into the um, Human Events Daily studio yesterday with Jack Posobiec here on Capitol Hill, and it really it, it was so jarring to me because they've got all this technology just everywhere. And then I come home <laughs> and look at my setup. And I was just like, uh, you know what? I should probably invest a little bit more in the way we do things here. Like this is kind of like I'm recording it. I'll tell you what. When I was a kid. I was in a rap rock band, duo in fact, uh, called Project Magnum. And um, we, uh. we were, yeah, oh, we were, um, we were desperately trying to improve the sound quality for our rapping, of course. Um, and what we did was we placed a microphone inside a tin can with, with the hopes that it would make, and it obviously didn't make the, uh, the audio any better. And I feel like that's just what I'm doing now. Like this is the, my mic in the can moment just all over again. Well, I'm sure your setup is probably better than mine. So. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's, again, not, not a high bar. <laughs> the, the lowest bar. The lowest bar. Um, so, listen, I wanted to jump on this morning. I know you got a, uh, you got a, a hard out at like, uh, in like half an hour or something. So, but I wanted to jump on this morning because um, I, I, sometimes... I guess I don't really I don't really grift maybe as much as I should, you know? And you know how a lot of people who have met somebody once or, you know, want to write a book about somebody, you know, and there are all these books about Bannon and all this stuff. And I forget actually that I'm probably the person that has worked apart from apart from his producer Dan Fluett, I'm probably the person who has worked closest with him for the longest period of time at this point. And as as all of the things over the last night, um, yesterday and, and the last night kind of bore out, I thought it does bear me saying something about all of this. As, as, as it's very easy to forget, Natalie, that, you know, 
when the regime is bearing down on you, it's very easy to forget the gravity of the situation because you're just living it, right? It's like the boiling frog. You just the, the temperature is being turned up on you very slowly. And so you never actually stop to think like, wow, this is actually an historic moment. This will be in the history books. People will take notice of what people said around this time. And so I thought I'd jump on here and kind of let you flip the tables on me and talk a little bit about, you know, Steve the man who I've known and worked with for a decade and how all this stuff is playing out. Because I was at the Trump Hotel last night. It was our our friend Harlan's birthday. So I took him out to the uh, to the hotel. I'm By the way, for the audience, I'm fresh off COVID. Um, just had my second bout of it. Um, tested negative the last two days in a row. And and, and it was, it was not going to lie, it was kind of shitty for a couple of days, but uh, I was uh, I was fine. So, But if I sound a little bunged up, I, I still am. And, uh, and I can't smell or taste, sorry, smell nor taste. Um, and uh, I tire very easily at the moment. So, Natalie, you're going to have to take over at some point because I'm going to get real tired of talking. Um, and I don't just mean on this podcast, I mean in my life. You're going to have to take over at some point. And um, let's start with let's start with your first impressions because was it was it at the border uh, that you first met Steve? Yes, I first met love that picture. Steve. By the way, <laughs> I look totally awful. There's a reason it's never been posted. <laughs> um, I I'm met posting Steve. it. No, it's going to be the no. picture for this podcast on the website. No, I, no looked, I, do that to you. I looked so awful. It was a you rough night awful. the night before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but besides that, no, I that was my first meeting with Steve, though. I don't honestly, I, I don't think he remembers. I mean, obviously doesn't remember it, but I don't even think he would put together that that's where he met me. I think he thinks that Natalie at the border and, and Natalie of, of War Room uh, fame are, are two very different people. Again, <laughs> I, I grew up a lot in that time, but um, my you first kind it. of, <laughs> I think the difference from, I think I was 18 at the time. Wait, um, wait until, wait until you're 30 and see how you feel about how much growing up you did in that <laughs> amount of time. But my I'm just first, kidding. You're never going to hit 30. I, I hope not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm banking on transhumanism working out by then, so we won't have to age. Yes. But um, my first real interaction, kind of virtually just being exposed to Steve, was through a speech he gave at the Oxford Union. And I remember mm. watching that. And from then on, I was like, who is this man? <laughs> he mm. is the best. He articulates what I've been feeling for so long, but in a way that that's so intelligent and just right on the nose in a way that I think a lot of the cultural commentary on the right has, has been lacking in and still continues to lack. Um, so imagine my shock when I, I now sort of have, have worked with him and I'm in, 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 in Steve world. But um, how did, how did you first meet Steve? Everyone, you know, God. everyone always asks me that they, and whenever I do Q and a sessions, when I'm speaking, I would say like 30% of my questions, are just about you <laughs> and about you, Steve. So maybe well, you can save me. Do you know that's really funny because at least 30% of questions that I get asked, and I don't even mean at speeches or whatever, I mean just in life, are about you. You know, people <laughs> will literally come up to me on the street and be like, hey, so like, what's Natalie doing? And I'm like, I don't know, she's probably at the gym. I, you know, like, I don't Girl. know what she's doing right now. Um, so, so, so ditto. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. It's, and I just want to remind the audience, he's not dead. Um, but it's, it's, it's this is an obituary. 
I felt that same way when I was doing a post last night. Like, Steve Bannon is a hero. And then I was like, wait, he's still alive. Well, like, as, as far as we know, I mean, you know, um, he doesn't sleep. Transhumanism. Yeah, he has been uploaded to the uh, to the collective consciousness. That would be a <laughs> sick ass collective consciousness. It's just the mind of Bannon. Um, so, take that. you know, it's real, it's, it's real weird. It's real weird. And it's real weird to, um, it's, you know, we still have an awkward relationship, funnily enough. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like this, we don't know if we're brothers or father and son or, you know, and, and it was kind of just like that right from the get go. We always had this, this tension between us because, because we, we, there was very clearly like he wanted to establish a mentor mentee relationship, whereas I wanted to establish like a a partnership, you know, because I'm just I've always been, you know, like you, um, just constantly trying to punch upwards, right? Punch above my weight and, and do more and do more. So we met for the first time. You'll love this. We met for the first time. Um, I was um, I was sitting in my friend Richard Jackson's uh, apartment in London. And uh, I had just, funnily enough, I was supposed to take over. This was 2012, I believe, or 13, maybe 12, late 12. And I was supposed to take over back then as managing editor of a magazine called Human Events. And uh, the proprietors at the time, Salem, Salem Eagle, kind of just forgot. I don't know, they were just kind of backwards. Um, kind of forgot that... I needed a work visa to do that, you know? And so I was emailing with them talking about this and they were like, oh no, we're not going to undertake that whole process. Sorry, deal's off. And I was kind of heartbroken because I'd been coming to CPAC for three years at that point and I thought like, oh, America's hot shit. I got to be over there, uh, be part of this like political scene over there. And suddenly it got like ripped out from under me and I was super sad and I was at my friend uh, Dickie's house and my phone rings. And I don't know the number and I just pick up the phone and I'm like, hello? And down the other end of the phone just booms this voice at me like like I thought it was a joke. I, f I felt like it was a prank call for 30 seconds. The, the voice goes, hey, you don't know who this is, but my name is Stephen K. Bannon and I am the uh, executive chairman of Breitbart.com. And I was like, all right. He goes, do you know it? I was like, uh, I, I guess I've seen it. Like Breitbart.com was not a big deal in England. Like just wasn't. Not back then anyway. And, um, and he was like, oh, I'm going to be in London in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'd like to meet you. And I said, meet me for what? <laughs> he goes, I'm looking to start a London bureau of the site. And everybody I talk to in DC keeps telling me to talk to you. So I was like, all right, whatever, sure, I'll meet this guy, sounds cool. Um, so we arranged to meet, and I go through his 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 uh, secretary or whatever, and, and we arranged to meet at Brown's Hotel in Mayfair. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, this is like a very fancy hotel, like I should probably dress well for this meeting. And back in the day, dressing well for me meant uh, a sweater, a shirt, and a pair of jeans. You know, like I was, if I wasn't wearing, uh, you know, I'm not going to say overalls, right? But like I was, I was very, I was very casual. I was a very casual dress. Uh, so I go to Browns, and as I walk in, uh, this will be nothing to you, Natalie. Probably be nothing to the audience either. But standing in the 
uh, front hallway is Michael Gove. Uh, Michael Gove is a, a very seri- serious member of parliament, a uh, member of the British cabinet, um, ran for prime minister several times. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, I'm in Browns and there's, and there's Michael Gove and this is really fancy. And I, I'm, honestly, I am, a, I am an immigrant boy. I'm a brown boy from Uxbridge, West London, right? I have no airs and graces about me. Well, now I do. Um, I just, I didn't have like a penny to my name back then. And I'm in, I'm in Churchill's favorite hotel in, in Mayfair. And so all this like hits me and I start sort of really like panicking, like, oh my God, am I underdressed? Am, is, am I going to embarrass myself around this person? Like, I don't know who this person is. And uh, I go to the table and I sit down at the table with this man that I've never met. And I take one look at him and he's totally disheveled. Hairs everywhere. Um, you know, I, looks like he might not have showered that day. Uh, he'll, by the way, I hope Steve does not listen to this podcast because he'll fucking kill me. Um, but no, I think he'd, he'd know what I'm talking about. Like, and he's there in his like battle jacket and, you know, slacks that don't fit too big. Um, you know, the cargo pants sort of thing. And he's just, he's, he's like what I do now when I open up Facebook, he's staring like an inch away from his phone. You know, he's got the phone right up to his, his eyeballs and he's like tapping away. I think he had a Blackberry at the time and he's just tapping away at this thing, like doing an email or something like that. And he goes, oh, hey, hey, brother, sit down, sit down. So sit down. I, I think I order like, I order like, you know, some crappy, crappy beer, like trying to be cool, a uh, bottle of beer. And um, he is just chugging coffee. And here's why I say you'll love this story. We start to talk and I don't really like him. And it's very clear that he doesn't like me either. Like, we just don't vibe. And I, you know, I get up to leave uh, just thinking to myself, well, that didn't work out so well. That's a shame. I hope I, I hope I cross paths with this person in the future, though. Like, that'd be cool. Texts me or calls me or something like the next day and says, like, oh, hey, I got to speak at this conference in Cambridge. Are you going to be up there? I was like, well, that's funny. I'm speaking at a conference in Cambridge tomorrow. Turns out we're speaking at the same conference. He goes, yeah, I'm speaking on the like new media panel. I was like, well, I'm speaking on the new media panel. Turns out we're on the same panel. And it's me and him and a um, political reporter in England. Well, now political reporter in England. Used to be a blogger back then. Used to be one of my mates uh, called Harry Cole. And um, we're sitting up on this panel. And I was, I don't know why. Because I just, it wasn't, like I wasn't trying to shag him. But I just felt so nervous. Um that I just kept like fluffing my lines up on that panel because there was this big fucking American guy like just judging me sitting right next to me, you know? And uh, afterwards he was like, hey, you know, I got a sweet, uh, seriously, I wasn't trying to shake him. Uh, He goes, hey, I got a sweet, uh, would you come up? I need to talk to you about this, this, this London bureau. So I was like, all right, cool. So I go up, we sit down and he shows me the website. He goes, would you change anything about this website? I was like, yeah, I I might change a few things about the website. I, I totally had no idea what I was talking about. I was just, you know, when you just say something to say something, of course you do. Um, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, and this is again, okay. So think about this from your perspective, Natalie. He goes to me, all right, well, I'm ready to make you an offer. I was like, okay. And back then I was making like 70,000 pounds a year blogging in my underpants from my bedroom, you know? 
and he goes, we'd like to pay you $30,000 to start the Breitbart London Bureau. And I went, I went, a week? <laughs> He's like, no, a year. That's a good it's deal. A, it's a great deal. Yeah, it's like, it's a good deal. I was like, the reason that's funny, ladies and gentlemen, is because that's, that's how I recruited Natalie. I paid her pennies at the beginning. And I was like, and I was like, by the way, she's very well remunerated now. But uh, she, I, was, I was like, oh, it's a good deal. But that's exactly what Steve did to me. It's exactly what Steve did to me. The difference is, Natalie, I didn't accept it. And, <laughs> And um, well, this is what they say about the difference between men and women in a work environment, isn't it? That the men, uh, that the men negotiate harder. I'm happy to be contributing to the wage gap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're on the other side of it now, by the way. You're contributing on the other side of the wage gap. Um, so uh, I held out, and I didn't accept for like four months until he met like my salary demands. And then on, and then once I guess he like gained a. You shouldn't respect. be telling me this story you make way too much money now okay like everybody sees your christian dior handbags okay like this is too i'm paying you too much the reason i don't have a fully functioning studio natalie is because you have fully functioning ferragamo okay so let's just be very clear about that well, um, it's hard to find brands that don't make their stuff in china that's, oh bless you so kind of you to do that for the uyghurs right that's why you wear this stuff um, exactly. <laughs> so, gosh, you're so kind. Selfless. Um, so, so I hold out for like four months, um, just knowing that in the back of my mind, like if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And then I guess he like gained respect for me in doing that because um, he then he then gave me a budget for four staff, an office, you know, a big like everything. And I was like, hang on a minute. You've basically now given me a half a million dollars to play with here to set up this Breitbart London Bureau, but you were trying to pay me 30 grand? Like, that just makes absolutely no sense. So, um, and, 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 and do you know what? And that's Steve. You know, that's Steve. For the, for the people that don't know him personally, sometimes things just don't make sense. They just don't make sense. He does things in a very, very strange and, and, and sometimes appears to be backwards way. But there's always... Even if you don't see it, and to this day, Natalie, to this day, I have memories of traveling with him all over the world, sitting in planes, sitting in hotels, sitting in lobbies, um, you know, uh, sitting at gates, um, just, just weird memories of so many things, and I still cannot make sense of some of the things that he did when he did them but i'm sure they made perfect sense to him and i'm sure something came off better as a result of the action that he took in that moment and um and that and that's 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 the um you know the je ne sais quoi of of steve there will be things that nobody around him understands but if you follow the orders you know nine times out of ten he'll come good over to you Okay. <laughs> well, wait, maybe you said it and I, I wasn't listening to the best of my ability, but what year um, did you meet him? When? What time frame was that? So I think that was early 13. So we arranged the meeting, I think, in late 12 and we met in early 13. So it's been nearly 10 years. And then if I, by the way, as you're telling the story, I'm just imagining myself, however many years from now, having to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Talking about how I met you. <laughs> the, the stories. I hope, I hope you use the phrase je ne sais quoi when it comes to me, you know? I'm not good at pronouncing foreign words. 
<laughs> Apart from you do you do a good job with uh, Chinese words or Chinese names. No, I start laughing. She, I'm so she, bad at them. Remember when I've you gotten were, good at that one. Remember when you were pronouncing Xi Jing Li weird because somebody told you? Sure, Jung Li. Yeah, who told you that? Jack Kosovic, another foreign word. No, I'm sure um, it's not sure. Yeah, I, I, the jury's still out. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> we got right. we got to ask her. Um, I would love to ask her. No, so, no, no. But so, but back back to C. Yeah. So I was watching CNN last night at the bar. You know when it was when it was on at the because funnily enough, for the people that don't know, for some reason the Trump Hotel keeps CNN on the TV. I think it's like a troll or something. It's like you know how Steve has <laughs> MSNBC up behind him in the war room. Um, but uh, I was watching it and they were just. I mean, they were doing package after package after package on Steve and his life. And at one point I was up there and there were these girls sitting at the bar and I was like, hey, look, I'm on the TV. And they were just like, yeah, all right, dude, like chill. I was like, no, it's funny. Look. Um, and and I just- You have great game. Oh, just the best. Just the best. Um, oh, no. Last night. Oh, no. I did not have any game last night. I um, I was- I think we, I think we FaceTimed unintentionally last night oh yeah i forgot yeah. about that well because it was my yeah. first night out in a while so i might have uh might have had a I few adult beverages working <laughs> did i flip you off yeah <laughs> that's cool um so uh who was it it was it was kingsley who facetimed you kingsley is our friend who works at getter and get on getter by the way um that that was they were perfect. doing a getter they were doing a getter live stream so if you want to watch oh, the video ricky yes. flipping me off yes you that, can watch I go to kaylin's getter I totally forgot about that kaylin was doing a live stream from the trump hotel lobby last night and i was saying things like non-pc things in the background and he didn't tell <laughs> me he was live well think about okay that's how you feel they FaceTimed me and then put me on the live stream. I didn't know they were live streaming. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, hi. <laughs> but I guess it's like me doing any media hit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to do one in a minute, so I've got to let you go soon. But I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep, just, by the way, when you want to go, just hang up. Don't even say bye, just hang up. I, um, <laughs> just Irish goodbye. Are you allowed to say that anymore? Uh, speaking of Irish goodbyes. You know, so Steve is, I mean, he calls himself, uh, he calls himself like a, a, a dumb old Mick or whatever. You know, he's very proud of his uh, Virginia, Irish, you know, his dad being like a lineman in the phone company. I mean, by the way, his dad, have you ever met his dad? I have not. Okay. You think Steve is like a tough cookie? Marty Bannon, like unbelievable unbelievable 100 years old and and mows the lawn manual mower himself you know just sharp as attack i remember we were at the omnishoram hotel in washington dc for it was it was what is that conference called faith and faith and freedom or something like that and uh it was it was right around that time that um Hillary had used the phrase deplorables and I was in the lobby with Steve's dad and he's less mobile now than he was back then but but he used to come into town and he was at that conference and he would he was always still is just just such a wonderful supporter of of his of his son and and 
listen to every radio show that we used to do, you know, the old Breitbart News radio show on Sirius XM, would listen to every show, offer constructive criticism. Um, but what really used to get Steve's goat was he, I think, preferred me on air to Steve. And he would always tell Steve, you've got to have that Raheem guy on more. You've got to have that Raheem guy on more. And Steve would always tell me, like, yeah, my dad, my dad likes, my dad likes you more than me, you know. And he just like didn't, he hated saying it. And um, he came up to me once in the um, in the lobby of the Omnishorum, his uh, his dad, Steve's dad, and he goes, Raheem, I, I think you're really good on air, but I, I think you know a lot of the callers are truckers, and I don't think you're paying enough attention to what they're saying about their lives like the hardship that they face in their lives and he was absolutely right because it's not like I wasn't listening but but when you're doing three hours of call-in radio every day sometimes you can let the calls like go over your head a little bit Mm -hmm. they they start to sort of blend in you know you know how you feel when I drone on you know, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it starts to sound like that. And after that, I realized, no, you're right. These people are calling in and they're telling me about their lives and their problems. And, you know, it's almost like that. You've never seen Frasier, have you? I have not. No. Do you know what Frasier is? No. Oh, God. <laughs> Homework is to watch Frasier. Um, it's a it's a spin-off show from Cheers. Do you know Cheers? Nope. Oh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, right? Like, this is not a joke. She doesn't know what Cheers is. She thinks you have to learn to pump gasoline. Uh, um, and I'm learning about, I've learned about music. Oh, yeah? What you, what you, oh, by the way, did you listen to Taylor Swift's new album? Of course. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm double speed. <laughs> so Frasier Crane was a character in Cheers. They did a spin-off show called Frasier where he moved to Seattle and hosted a uh, psychiatrist radio show. And his catchphrase was, I'm listening. And sometimes when you're on the radio, when you're doing a, a, a talk show every day for years and years on end, you do forget to actively listen. And, and, and Mike Bannon just like, taught me or, or or reassured me about listening to people and i'm sure that's where steve gets this like intense focus on the everyman from right because not just because he is and his family uh you know are everyman but because because i think there's a certain stress in their lives of of making good to the people around them you know and being good to the people around them and that's why I find it so utterly farcical when you see these kind of demonic packages that they put together on CNN, where they and I know Steve likes to lean into like the evil genius thing, but like back in the day, Natalie, like way, way, way back, in, like early, early Breitbart like takeoff days, twenty thirteen, fourteen. Um, he used to host these big parties over at the well, what is now the War Room, big parties. Hundreds of people, swing bands, flappers, hand-rolled cigars out back. I mean, you, you couldn't imagine Steve throwing a party today, could you? No, <laughs> no he's, not, he's not exactly a party guy. And he never was, by the way. But uh, like maybe in his youth, but but not, um, not for decades and decades. Uh, but he used to do it because he knew that that was a way to like uh, ingratiate the Breitbart brand into Washington, D.C. What are people in D.C. like? They like cocktails. They like networking you know they like to feel important and and so he would throw these 
reluctantly throw these parties. Again, he's not dead. He would throw these parties <laughs> and um, everybody would come. Natalie, everybody would come. You know, all these people who talk shit about him on air nowadays, they were at those parties. Like, they would kiss the ring as they walked up those uh, iron steps into that mm-hmm. into that townhouse. You know, Betsy Woodruff's of the world and the, uh, uh, what's his name, Swin from the Daily Beast. And, and all of these people would come to those parties, would drink his liquor, would dance to his bands, would smoke his cigars, would thank him on the way out and look at how they behave now. You know, he hasn't changed as a human being, but look at the way they have changed to how they treat this person. And I, that is something that I, I really want to get across to people is how disingenuous these people can be um, you know, within, within, within minutes, they'll just flip on you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know from personal experience, but, uh, it, it really is crazy as someone who has known Steve, I guess, for, God, I don't even know, probably a, a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Mm. Um, his portrayal as someone who was first exposed to him by the way the media portrayed him. And obviously I knew nine times out of 10, the way the media portrays someone, they're the complete antithesis of that. But then actually meeting him and working with him, he, besides you, Raheem, has probably been one of the most just empowering and and supportive people to work alongside. And if you look at me, I'm a a young girl. I can't even think of all the headlines I've ever read about Steve being, you know, a a woman-hating, sexist, misogynist, evil-type man. And I, I seriously have never felt more supported by someone while being on a, on a program and, and just in general mm. than Steve. So I, I, even though it's not as, as much of a, a personal kind of reconciling with how the media portrays him, um, I kind of come at it from, from the opposite end and that I was exposed to the media's portrayal of him first before actually meeting him. You are, you are so right. And I think it, it reflects in, you know, his lovely daughter, uh, Maureen, they're just, they're, they're good people who love this country Mm. um and i think that that makes you an enemy uh in in today's america i mean he's a he's a veteran he's i think everything that this country they never really mentioned that do they right it it really is funny they they never ever mention that he's always i don't even know the words they used to describe him now but no but you're right you're right no but let's focus on that for a second because you know mm -hmm. whenever they've got somebody you know who's a veteran who's on their side you know, Vindman's and, and all this <laughs> crap. They will literally use the word... Lieutenant Colonel? Yeah. They will use the word veteran, like, over and over and over and stress their service and all of this stuff. They never talk about Steve in those terms, right? They never talk about, like, the, the, the selflessness with which he comported himself for his entire, and a whole like, family formative of life. military a whole service. family. A whole family. They act like he's some some thick rube from Virginia, right, that, that um, you know, has never experienced the world and so he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, this guy was, was, was in, you know, the, the Straits of Malacca, you know. He was going around the world defending... Uh, uh, America from co- actively defending America from communism, real communism that was that was you know threatening to to to. I mean, it has basically overthrown America at this point. Um, and and I would argue because because Steve's when Steve was in the service, that was the last great generation of people who really knew what they were fighting. They weren't fighting for for transgender flags up on embassies, right? They were fighting to stop 
an evil ideology landing on the shores of America. And they never talk about that. Of course they wouldn't. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know when I have to leave. Cause I, I think it's a, a bit later, but um, okay. I think, Hang I around. think people would love, at least maybe I would get it sorted out. So how did you get from, from Breitbart London times mm to obviously Breitbart radio happens and mm. that's when you're in, in the States. Mm. Um, but then I know we're skipping a few years here, mm. but how does war room come into the picture? I know you've probably told the story of how war room impeachment, the, the precursor to war room pandemic was started. Mm. Um, but maybe you could add some, some color to that for people who haven't heard the story. Well, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that this is about Steve because I, I, I do want to, I do, I, I, you know this 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 moment in time in history right now. I you know I feel I feel this weight of responsibility to make sure that at least somebody out there is trying to tell the truth about this man. And don't get me wrong, like we've had our disagreements, we've had our spats, we've had our fallings out, like anybody does. Um, you know, we spend too he and I spend too much time together. It's like it's like um, <laughs> it's just it's it's two very angry like stars orbiting each other, right? Like just hitting each other with solar flares constantly. And um, and we always try to like one up each other. I mean, you know him, his 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 historical knowledge, the breadth of information that he has, not just about like American history, but he knows he knows the classics. You know, he knows uh, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Um, he knows all about and all across Asia. He knows so much about um, uh, uh, you know about the uh, the world island and Sir Halford Mackinder's theory. Obviously, the fourth turning is something that he's big on as well. Philosophically, um, you know, you read about like some of these some of these ultra niche philosophers that he he knows inside out, and then sometimes he'll turn to me and he'll be like, "Hey, Raheem, like I'm just making something up here, by the way, but it's not exactly an accurate quote, but like something like this." He'll be like, "Hey, Raheem, like who's Aristotle?" And you know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll just go, wait, what? Like, you know, all of this stuff, but you don't know that. And he's never asked me who Aristotle is, but I'm just using like an obvious example as, as that kind of thing. He's just, it's such a weird, like mind. He has such a strange mind, a strange way of thinking. Um, and, and that's kind of how War Room came about, honestly, is from his strange way of thinking. He, he, he called me up one day. We hadn't really been working together at that point for a couple of months. No, maybe more like six months. And he called me up out of the blue. He's just like, hey, what's up? How's it going? I was like, that's ah, cool. He goes, what are you working on? I was like, I'm, you know, trying to trying to think about launching a new site and doing some like uh, investigative news and things like that. He goes, yeah, that's cool. But I'm launching a podcast. I was like, oh, you know, I didn't even know he knew what a podcast was. And um, well, no, he's not particularly tech savvy, right? And yes. like, like to the point where it still annoys me that he calls everything a cold open. Like not everything is a cold open. You, you know, you can't play a clip in the middle of the show and call it a cold open. Um, and it's my fault because I use phrases around him and he picks them up and then they just, and just use them. One time I asked the uh, producers if they could do a cold open at the start of the show. And he, he obviously knew what that meant before. I didn't introduce him to the phrase, but he like grabbed onto the phrase and now just uses it for everything. Like he'll say, send me a clip in like over text and be like check out this cold open and i'm like it's not a cold open <laughs> like you know can't just call everything a cold open um and um you know he he tells me i'm doing a podcast i was like okay you know cool like that's cool like obviously he's brilliant at broadcasting and can really draw an audience in like like i don't think like anybody else in america today 
he would never agree with this, but I think he is more of a McLuhan-esque character than Donald Trump is. I think he has he has um, he has Donald Trump's star power when Donald Trump was at his peak stardom, like at the Apprentice times, you know, and and so he goes, "Why don't you come over tomorrow, and we'll do a pilot episode?" I was like, "All right." I only live down the street from him. I was like, "All right, cool, I'll do it." So I go over there, and it, the basement of the townhouse used to be uh, the office space. It used to be where we'd have our Breitbart board meetings, all of that, um, you know, just... And we sat around that board table, and there was, like, janky equipment everywhere, wires running across all the tables. Dan Fluitt, <laughs> bless him, you know, was given about 12 hours to prepare this this room for a podcast, and we were using terrible micro. If you go back and listen to the first ever show... Of war it sounds like the podcast. It sounds atrocious. I mean, it's embarrassingly bad. And um, we sit there. You know, the audio is echoing off this table because we have this like big, big um, stone table. There's no soundproofing in the room. It's just, it's all horrible. And uh, Jason Miller's in there with us as well. And I didn't really know Jason. Like, I'd seen him sometimes on, like, the Morton's patio. But I'd really only seen him on television. We didn't, we didn't, we hadn't interacted together all that much. And and it was kind of prickly for that reason. Because we're all trying to figure out, like, what is our, what you know, what is our role in the show? Uh, who's the star here? Is Steve the star? Or is he just, like, is he just the anchor and he wants us to be the stars? Um, you know, Jason is trying to assert himself. I'm trying to assert myself. We're, like, stepping on each other's lines, disagreeing with each other. It's, just, it's, 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 it's like, not really working. And um, I didn't think it was a particularly good first episode. And then we did another, and we did another, and we did another, and we started to find our rhythm. And I thought to myself, oh, God. This is this is really really going to take off. Like I knew it, I could feel it. Um, mostly because anything Steve does does, even if it's to my chagrin, sometimes it does. <laughs> and uh, like like for some reason, you know, he he tells everybody that you're gone now. You know, <laughs> he does. He tells everybody that I've moved to New York, which I haven't. You know, and, but it just takes off. These things are now like just reality to people. Like people text me being like, hey, want to grab a drink at the Churchill Arms? And I'm like, that'd be cool. It's three and a half hours away for me. But, you know, um, so, you know, he just memes things into existence. He does. And, and, and that's something that people have to understand about him as well, is that he's, he's got this, ca- this character and this personality and this ability to, to take an idea or to take a concept and just and just make that concept reality that is very hard to come by in the world and we've all met people a little bit like that nobody's quite met anybody quite like steve like that like it's honestly it's terrifying i'm envious of it and and you know i'll say this i've worked with some of the most brilliant people i think on planet earth in my life you know and and honestly nasley you're included in that and uh, I, I, you know, I've worked with Nigel and I've worked with Steve. Uh, I get to work with you. And, and there are a handful of people that I just think get it. They just get it, right? And I don't think I particularly get it. You know, I, I just think I'm like kind of this observer of all of this stuff. And I keep, I keep, I keep copious notes on, on everything. And Steve does too, by the way. I don't know if he'd like me telling anybody this so just keep it between us um the, the um he keeps notes of everything absolutely everything 
Um, because so much happens in his day, you know, he, he barely sleeps, for those that don't know. And so much happens in his day that if he didn't write this stuff down, it would be impossible to remember all this stuff. And you know when on the show, when he's constantly just scribbling, he's constantly scribbling. So I've watched him on planes scribbling for seven hours straight, just writing for seven hours straight. I've watched him in hotel rooms when he's in a meeting with somebody and he'll just grab the news, the nearest piece of paper, which is like a newspaper, and he'll just start writing in the margins these thoughts that are just coming into his head. And then he will carry that paper around with him for the next like seven days, you know, and 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 just look at his notes and and keep like referring back to the thing he thought and 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 working that idea over and honing it and bettering it. And honestly. I think that's a lot of his like philosophical training. It's a lot of this like stoic, um, um, uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but he, 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 the one thing I regret that he's told me some shit in my time that I'm glad I didn't take his advice on, right? Um, <laughs> you know, get married. Um, but I, um, I, I took this one piece of advice he gave me and I didn't listen to it, and I wish I'd listened to it. And if, if there's anybody out there right now who is in their early to mid-20s, take the advice he gave me and I didn't take. He looked at me across the table once, and he said, Raheem, I know you like drinking. I know you like girls. I know you like the pub. I know you like this lifestyle. But if you, if you commit yourself to just being a monk for five years, years just five years of intense study introspection um n gain knowledge and experience keep fit and healthy and uh, and i know people like look at him now and say oh he's not fit and healthy and he, he's not as fit and healthy as he could be but he used to be right like he knows what that feels like and um and i didn't do it you know i i, I kept drinking i kept bloating you know i was i was so unfit and, and unfitness bleeds into the mind i was unable to you know study and read and accumulate knowledge in the way that in the way that you should in those formative years like those philosophically formative years and it was the single best don't tell my parents i said this but it was the single best piece of advice any person has ever given me and i didn't take it and i regret it to this day natalie it's so it's so funny to me because I think the the refrain from so many of these mainstream media outlets you say they run these packages on Steve they they really make you think that you know Steve Bannon has a a secret plotter in some cases a not so secret plot to control America and you know turn all all young kids in and then subscribe to to the way he thinks and you know I guess what we're talking about is really just put, putting America first but I think it's so funny when you really dig down into what Steve is about. And obviously we're fortunate to know that you more so than myself because you spent more time with him. But it's it's just so so absurd to me because I think if so many young people were more exposed to Steve in all aspects of Steve and, and I think the, the lifestyle and the values that he projects in terms of not just service to your country, but just how he, everything he does, he does it 110%, does it with intention, does it thoroughly and values education and not just education in the sense of like getting a college degree no, even though yeah. of course you know steve is better educated than most of these primetime anchors 
Um, but most, education, most, oh. put them all together, <laughs> put them all and together, and he, then they could not hold a fucking candle to him. And it it pains me to say that because I hate I hate fawning over people. Like I I and you know exactly you know Natalie especially how I hate saying nice things about Steve, right? But 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 but, but, but well, just because he gives me this little smirk every time I do it, you know, and uh, I just I just. Uh, you put them all together, they could not do it. They could not, they could not debate him. Never. Oh, no, no, not at all. And what, what I was saying with the education is, is obviously on the establishment side of things. They love their quote unquote prestigious institutions. And, you know, Steve attended all those yeah. um, in the sense that he has the same pedigree as so many of these people. But I just, I just think a world in which there were more people like Steve, if that were even possible, but just ascribe to, to his views on how it is so important to understand our history, our, our philosophy, culture, um, would just be such a, a better, and I think truer version of America than really the, the America that all these stupid left-wing networks, even sort of right-centered, center-left networks spew. Yeah. Um, and I think that just get, gets lost on people, that, that Steve is someone who represents more than just trying to take down the establishment right. Um, but he represents, I think, really what it means. And I know this probably sounds so cliche and cringe. And for that reason, I hope Steve doesn't listen to you. But <laughs> what, it, what it really means to like actually be an American and have yeah. an appreciation yeah. for, for this country and, and for our history and for family and, and for everything. And I think how he shows his love for that and how he kind of embodies that is of course through through war room and his you know amazing takes and analysis and his dedication which i think you see through three hours of broadcasting a day no sleep Listen, all he does is work i i don't think people i, I don't think even you quite realize or, or could realize natalie just just how difficult it is like to broadcast he's just constantly on a broadcast schedule right like at the end of the show, his immediate next thought is, "Who have we got for the next show? What are the what are the segments like? What are we talking about? How are we going to approach this? What what adds value for the audience, right?" And he could he could so easily, you know, put all of this behind a paywall and grift off this thing, and he doesn't. And that's how you know he's doing it for the country, right? You talk about I don't think that's you know at all cheesy. I think you. I think we absolutely have to frame things like that. You know, who is a real American nowadays? And 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 Steve is right. He just is a real American boy. You know, and there's just there's no doubt about that. Um, I think we. I think we should probably wrap it unless you've got anything else here. Steve is the best. But that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I got. I have so many stories, and you did such a bad job of interviewing me to get those stories <laughs> well, out. I'm too, I'm too close because I, I know like the story. I don't think you do. You know the story of when we I were in Palm like Beach? You know the story of when we were in Palm Beach and, and, and I was, it was just me and him in the back of a car and it was the moment, it was the moment that he flipped from Cruz to Trump in the back of that car because I was banging on about Trump for months and months and months and Breitbart had this, you know, Ted Cruz uh, uh, backing position. I sat, you know that story? Well, you just sort of told it. Yeah, exactly. Now you know that story. No, there's just so many really, really, really... Well, then you shouldn't have even had me on the show. Oh, I can't. I, you know, I don't like to talk. So. 
Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you and Steve both, yeah. <laughs> well, that's where I learned it from, honestly. It's, well, because when he took over the Trump campaign, I had to take over the, his radio show. And so I had to learn to speak for three hours straight every morning, 6 a.m. Do you even know what 6 a.m. looks like? I I didn't even know there was a 6 a.m. before that, right? And 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. every morning in that SiriusXM studio, by the way, in a dangerous part of Washington, D.C., you'd rock up there, you know, in the pitch blackness of 6 a.m. in the winter, freezing cold outside and you're expected to just get on air and uh, hey and oh and uh, welcome and all this man that might have been the hardest thing to do straight like off the bat when he left because i had no experience doing that i never wanted a career in broadcasting i had no i uh, you know you know i don't have the voice for it um and and i just but it was him right he was in that booth even when he wasn't in that booth he was in that booth when i when we were in budapest together and um, Tommy Robinson got arrested and was being sent to prison on some bullshit charge of bullshit. Um, I said to Steve, I, I, I said to Steve, look, I, I, I realize we're supposed to be in Rome tomorrow. I, I just, I need to go back to London to help this man because the state is persecuting him. And he didn't even think twice about it. He looked me in the face and he went, with your shield or on it, with your shield or on it. And look that up. Because because the, I say that to him now, when when they when they bear down on him, I say the same thing back to him. I say with your shield or on it, and that is that is the uh, that is the you know embodiment of of the fight. You know, you only return home from the battle with your shield, i.e. in victory, or on your shield, i.e. in death. Right? There's no half measures. There's no there's no there's no pussyfooting around. You don't you don't surrender politely and 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 serve your time in the gulags um and and i think that this is one of the lessons when you say when you say a real american that is a real american lesson from a real american man see you just got to tell your story i got way more you you <laughs> messed up uh we'll do it another time we'll do it another time natalie i appreciate your time as ever enjoy your day stop giggling jesus um <laughs> Natalie Winters. I don't know what to say. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> Always a pleasure having Natalie on. She's working hard in Chicago. If you want to support us, the website is fundrealnews.com. Fundrealnews.com. And um, yeah, I'm just super grateful for all of the people who have joined up. Uh, let me see if I can read some of these names out here. Bonnie, Chris, George, Susan, John, Joanne, Debbie, Michael, Ching Wei, uh, Mary, Lutz, uh, Janice, Des- Despina. Cool name. Robert, Tammy, Paul, William, Barton, Victoria, Cole, Katie, Deborah, Larry, John, De- Denise? Denise? Not Denise, but it's Denise. Marty, Mark, Leo, Joyce, Darren, Laura, Angela, Carl, Susan, Paula, Jeffrey, Joel, Oscar, Patrick, Jimmy, and a whole lot more if you want to be part of the family. We have 3,800 members now, given an average of $8 a month, helping us do real investigative news, real reporting, holding the establishment to account, taking that fraudulent fucker Fauci down. Pardon my French. 
funrealnews.com is the URL. Thank you for listening. And uh, hey, any developments, you know, we'll keep you abreast of them. Um, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, with your shield or on it. I'll see you next time.